That was amazing. If you don't know Miss Ruth, you're missing a blessing. And um, this week I was reminded that the blessings are in the details. And I am so thankful that the Lord has given to His body people who have talents that we can enjoy. Isn't that great? Thank you, Miss Ruth. I'll call you this week. You can just come play for me. I was informed before the service that Hellman's mayonnaise is in unity with the University of Alabama. You remember I said several weeks ago I would only eat Hellman's. That changes now. Thank you for that information, Kenny. I appreciate that. He said halftime of the Alabama is sponsored by Hellman's Mayonnaise. And so you're going to have to work on that. All right. How many of you like Coke floats or root beer floats? You like those? Amen. So next Sunday, you can have one if you sign up for the fellowship. We'll have a fellowship immediately following the service next week. There are sign-up sheets out in the foyer. Uh, We'd love for you to uh, be a part of that. It's important to fellowship. I think we've seen that uh, when we have those, we really enjoy our time together. So I encourage you to sign up for that. And that will be uh, next Sunday immediately following uh, the service. Um, Also wanted to remind the men and young men... Um, to sign up for men's fellowship, we're actually having a literal steak. We are having, it's not going to be a hamburger, it's going to be a steak on uh, the 12th of um, October. Can you believe today is October the 1st? The 12th of October, we'll have a men's fellowship. It's a steak fellowship. Bob Walter will be, be here with us and he'll be uh, speaking. And so I encourage all of you guys uh, to be a part of that and to come and to fellowship with us. Um, Bob's always good, but if Bob's not good that night, the steak will be good, all right? So I encourage you guys to come and and be a part of that. I wanted to um, just read uh, something the Lord put on my mind uh, just this morning. But as a result of the statement I made about the blessings being in the details, and when we think about the blessings of the Lord, we could stay here all day and just list the blessings of the Lord as it pertains to what he tells us in his word. And um, I don't know how many of you enjoy peace, but I, I love peace. Do you love peace? And the Bible tells us that God gives us peace, not like the world gives us peace. So maybe today we could even just think about the peace that the Lord offers. He does so in a, um, in a verse, in a group of verses that you're very familiar with, but I'd like you to to stand, and I want to read Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. You know these verses well. I'm quite certain many of you do. But the Lord offers us peace. And um, when I think about the kind of peace He's offering in this passage, I'm thinking peace in the midst of storms that come about in our lives, that happen on a daily basis. He can give us peace like the world cannot, and not even like another believer can encourage us in that. But we have to do something first to get that peace. He says, Be anxious for nothing. 
but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. So you have to do verse 6 to get verse 7. But if we do verse 6, if we just lay these things out there in front of the Lord, he says, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension or understanding shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know that picture there of the word guard is a picture in that culture of a Roman garrison which was made up of between five and 7,000 soldiers. So if we say, Lord, here it is. I'm giving you this. He's going to give us peace even beyond what a Roman garrison would even be able to offer. And so that's the kind of God that we serve. I just wanted to remind us this morning that one of the great exercises that we could do on a daily basis is just to search the scriptures and look for the details as it relates to the blessings that our great God has given to us. So let's bow and let's pray as we continue in our service this morning. And so, our Father, we're thankful this morning for the peace that you offer through the Lord Jesus Christ. As we go through our week, there are many things that we are concerned with that potentially could bring us to the point of being anxious. You don't want that for us. You give us the formula by which we might have that peace. And that is to bring everything to you with an attitude of thanksgiving. That no matter what the outcome, we can still say you are God. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us as we go through our days and go through our weeks. That we would concentrate on the blessings that you've given to us. The detail of that. And so as we think about the detail called peace, I pray that you would remind us every day to lay all the burdens of our life at your feet. Might we find the blessing of peace that you offer. And this morning, Father, we pray that all that is done would bring glory to the person of Jesus Christ. For there is no one like Jesus There's no one who offers what Jesus offers. We can have eternal life through him. And so I pray that there's anyone this morning that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, that today could be the day of salvation. We ask for your blessing on our time together, and all this we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Yeah.
Do you believe that this morning? Are you ready to come because of that awesome God? Are you ready to come and praise him this morning? Let's praise the Lord for his awesome works, for who he really is. Let's all stand. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. We want to praise the Lord this morning. I'd like for us to read through a little verse of scripture, Psalm 150. Let's sing this, uh, let's uh, recite this together. May we? Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm sorry we don't have the clashing cymbals. We don't have the trumpets. We have a piano, okay, today. But we're going we're gonna to let the amen sound from his people again, and we're going to praise him. Let's sing together, praise the Lord.
sound too excited. You need to wake up, folks. That's everything, the wonders of his works, and we're here to praise him. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Uh, good morning. I have the privilege to introduce our speakers, some dear friends of mine that are joining me this weekend uh, for a visit, uh, Michael and Darla Berg with uh, YWAM, that's Youth with a Mission. How many of y'all are familiar with YWAM or Youth with a Mission? Raise your hand. Uh, some not, you know, so that'd be good. Uh, I know we've had a lot of new people come in the last year. Uh, Michael's been with us quite a few times to share in our missions conference and other things that have gone on, but um, uh, YWAM was started by Lauren and Darlene Cunningham back in the 60s. He had a vision of waves of young people going around the world and evangelizing the world. And uh, I'll tell you, the thing that I think characterizes um, YWAM, and it probably has, you know, it starts at the top. 
But I think it's uh, it's a commitment to prayer and a commitment to surrender of life. They, I, I know these kids now for my daughter's been there. So I share something with Michael besides friendship. We share my daughter. <laughs> Sarah's been there for 10 years plus now. And uh, I, I've seen why women will do anything. They will do anything for the gospel, for the sake of the gospel. Uh, clean toilets, it doesn't matter what it is. You know, dig ditches. Uh, uh, my granddaughter, um, Adeline, just spent a couple of months on one of their uh, DTS programs in uh, Mongolia. And uh, they had to eat the goat milk, milk the goats, use the goat dung for fires. And, I mean, you know, but all for the sake of trying to help establish a church in Mongolia with just one or two people up in the mountains that were Christians. So they'll do anything. And we're really blessed to have them here this morning mentioning uh, Lauren and Darling. Do pray for them. He's got cancer and uh, not expected to live long. So we just trust in the Lord. He's excited about heaven, but, uh, you know, he's going to miss his ministry here too, I'm sure, uh, as all of us will when we move on to heaven. But uh, just thankful to have them. They've been married uh, many years. They, they've, uh, I asked him this morning, um, how long you've been with YWAM? He said, what was it, uh, 42 years. He doesn't look that old, does he? This guy's almost as old as I am. When you see him, you're going to think, this guy's 15 years younger than David. So, uh, yeah, 28 years in uh, Orlando as the director there. And it's been amazing to see how God has blessed that ministry. Right now, today, there are 100 students signing up for the new DTS program for the fall. So uh, always got an influx of people. And I think um, there's just no limit to how God can use that base and how he's used Michael and Darling in the past. has been amazing to follow and to watch. And we're just blessed to have them. So come share your heart with us. We're going to sing. We're going to do. Um, oh, yeah, I wanted to introduce this song. Uh, we've got a song. I almost forgot. Uh, we've got a song called Disturb Us, Lord. And uh, I wanted to do it. We practiced it last week, and I thought, Ron, that would, that would be great right before Michael comes up because it's a very reflective song. It's, um, it's almost a painful song <laughs> it, because of the title, Disturb Us. And if you're like me, um, I'm so busy in life. Uh, I read a book years ago, um, uh, and uh, it really stirred my heart, The Life You've Always Wanted. Uh, and uh, as I read that book, it was a chapter called um, the hurried life robs us of the holy life. And I thought, uh, that's me. <laughs> that's me many times. So this song reminds us just to slow down, to remember God, and to pray, God, make me keenly aware of the opportunities every day you bring into my life to share your love with other people. Help me not to miss those opportunities to care for the down and out, to care for those that are hurting, to care for those that are lost without you. Keep that vision in my mind, Lord. So as we sing this to prepare our hearts for what Michael's going to share, I'd ask that maybe you close your eyes and just think of it as a prayer to the Lord to help us to do better in that area. Okay? Oh. 
All I can say is, wow, <laughs> that was so amazing. You know, it, I hadn't planned to share this, but I just, uh, as about a, almost a 20-year-old, I was at Michigan State University studying pre-veterinarian medicine, and as wicked as you can imagine. I didn't grow up in church. I'd never read the Bible. I didn't believe in God, didn't believe he existed, and I, I thought terrible things about the church. 
But then somebody was disturbed enough <laughs> to speak to me, a French girl who was a YWAM missionary coming through my hometown and was willing to confront this arrogant young man with the gospel. I'll be forever grateful to the Lord and to that person who was willing to share the gospel. I grew up in America without any regular witness to me. Not to mention the people on the planet that have never even heard the name of Jesus. What an extraordinary song here. And I just, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm stirred myself. I'm, I'm in missions, but I'm stirred myself by that song. Thank you. It was wonderful. Beautiful choir. You know, there are people all over the planet that have never once worshipped Jesus or heard a worship song. It's, it's crazy. That's why he gave us this, this great commission. But before I share that, I just introduce my wife's here. But this is our, our family and the uh, three of that, uh, those are great, uh, son-in-law, daughter, and the youngest son are on staff with us. They're all loving the Lord, which is wonderful. And they're, they're joined with us in this commitment to, to, uh, to fulfill the Great Commission. Uh, Mark sixteen fifteen. I think I, I may have, uh, there it is, uh, says to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. We have a very familiar passage to us. And you think about Jesus, he's getting ready to leave to be with the Father. He's going to leave planet Earth, and he's saying to his disciples, I want to give you the Great Commission, this last, these last final words. And David mentioned Lauren Cunningham. He's, he's literally on his deathbed. He, you know, at different times I get a FaceTime from him. He's laying on his bed sharing vision. You know, and you just have this sense of, you know, when somebody's on their deathbed, they're going, here's the important thing I want you to remember to do. I'm passing on this mission to you to carry out on planet earth and and he, he i'm not the only one he's doing this with but he's he's picking different ones in our mission globally and he's he's having those personal times where he's going this is your part carry this well how much more significant is is it when the lord says to his disciples and through the generations to us i'm giving you my commission here before i leave the planet to carry the gospel to everyone everywhere that's amazing and then he tells us in, in uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make the disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, uh, commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So he gives us not only this proclaim the gospel, but then disciple. And he, he gives us those that, those those challenging words. And we as the church have been at that for over 2,000 years. And yet, there are 3.2 billion people that have no access to the gospel on planet Earth. That number, I don't know about you, but when I hear big numbers like that, I'm going, oh, I, I don't know how to picture that. So I did a quick uh, search this morning to look at how, much, how many people live in the United States. And when I looked at how many, imagine everybody in the United States has never heard of Jesus has no church available, has no opportunity to worship. Imagine that. Now multiply that times 10, and that's what 3.2 billion people is. That's an extraordinary number of people that have no access to the gospel. 2.2 billion of them will literally live and die and never hear the name of Jesus. The other, you know, others have maybe heard about Jesus, but they, don't, they've not, they have no access. They have no Bible. They have no church, that kind of thing. That's That's tragic. It's tragic, and it needs to change. And God, God is on the move, I believe, to make that change. You know, we're, um, I, I believe God is raising up a generation of young people to carry the gospel. 
Billions of, young, of people are living and dying without ever hearing about Jesus. YWAM Orlando, and I believe this is a missions movement that uses training and outreaches to help youth reach the loss with the gospel. And we're always humble to watch what God does with that. I mean, we're seeing God, God continue to bring uh, young people to us, and they, they, they're willing to, David said, they're willing to go where, where many are fearful of going to share the gospel. I told you a story years ago uh, that about a group of young people working with Syrian refugees in a soccer stadium, and they were trying to speak to Muslim men who were just hard-hearted and unwilling to listen. And they prayed and asked God for a strategy, and God said, clean the bathrooms. That was what they sensed in their spirit. I mean, God didn't speak audibly, but they just had that sense in their mind, this thought dropped in their mind that there was, they were to clean the bathrooms, and they, they were disgusting bathrooms because nobody would, would, would clean them. And they, they rolled up their sleeves, and they cleaned these disgusting bathrooms, and afterwards the Muslim men said, you must really love us. So we do, but that's because the one who loves you most and the greatest servant of all uh, sent us to you to tell you about him. Can we talk to you about who he is? And they said, well, yes, you can. And 12 Muslim men came to Christ, were planted in a church, and they, they, they brought uh, 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 50 of their friends to the church in the, in the next year, and then 100 more uh, people seeking the Lord came through these guys. And just because some young people were willing to clean disgusting bathrooms. Or you see, uh, I'm thinking of Brendan, a young guy from Minnesota who came for our training, and he was in the midst of our training and, and our daughter and some others helped to lead, like, kind of like, worked like Sarah. They helped, they helped to lead teams out into the field. And, uh, and they were in India, and they were in a slum in India. And while they were in a slum in India, they knocked on somebody's door, a, a, kind of a, a slum apartment. And, and the woman opened the door, and they realized they had just interrupted her attempted suicide. Word had gone around the community that she was a promiscuous woman. And, that, uh, and she was so filled with shame that she wanted to quit living. So they talked with her, they encouraged her, they're trying to you know, speak you know, words of encouragement from Scripture, and they, they convinced her not to take her life. And they said, we'll come back you know, in, the next, uh, in a couple days and we'll, we'll share with you some more. And so she agreed not to kill herself, and they went away, and they... Uh, they were sharing, uh, they came back to share with us some more and got there, and the interpreter said to Brendan, would you tell her about a time when you, where Jesus helped you overcome shame in your life? And he tells a personal story where, he, where God helped him overcome shame. And then he was, uh, they, they were there talking to the woman. The woman was sitting on the floor because she felt she was less than the rest of them, so the others were sitting on the bed or you know, in, on a stool that she had, and there was you know, just very little furniture there. And so she was uh, on the floor, and as they were praying, Brendan had a sense that he was to share with her the story of the woman caught in adultery, in the very act of adultery. And he goes, you know, I don't, Lord, I don't know that I fully remember that, but, I, you know, okay, I trust you. And so our daughter, one of the schools she was leading was a school called Word by Heart, where they, they uh, learn about 90% of a gospel in, uh, in, in they, you know, by memory. It's not, they do what the Shakespearean act, uh, actors do to get into the character. So it's, it's like they, they tell it you know, word for word, but they tell it as an eyewitness account in, because they've, just, they've been so connected to the storyline. And so she, she's aware of that story and had it memorized, and he shared it. He didn't have it memorized, but he shared it with her word for word. And he got down on the floor... You know, at her level, and, reached, and she reached down and grabbed his hands, and he tells her the story about the woman caught in the very act of adultery. You remember that story, right? 
you know, where, where people brought her out to Jesus and said, we caught her in the very act. You know, the law of Moses said you should stone her. What do you say? And Jesus squats and writes in the sand. And they pressure him, and he finally stands back up, and he says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he squats back down and writes in the sand. And from the oldest to the youngest, they begin to drop the stones and walk away. After all the accusers are gone, Jesus stands up and looks at her and says, who's left to condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. He said, well, I don't condemn you either, but go and sin no more. And it's the sense of acceptance that this woman in India felt as she was sitting on the, on the floor of her, her slum apartment. And the sense of love and the challenge to, to live for him was so great. She, through tears, she gave her heart to Jesus. She went from suicide to salvation because some young people who are not professionals, they haven't gone to seminary. Seminary is great. I'm not suggesting that we don't do that. But they were not professionals, but they were dared to believe Jesus to go to the nations and, and risk themselves to share the gospel. And God moved in power. We're so grateful for, for all that God is doing there. You know, we're, one of the things we're grateful to you for, too, is Sarah. You know, we're so, uh, Sarah has been with us for a number of years and has just been a huge blessing uh, to us. And I have a uh, video that I hear that, uh, from Sarah telling her story. And, uh, you know, David and Melinda didn't know this was coming, but, he, but, but here, here we go. Oops, come on. Can you guys make that play back there? It played earlier when we... No? It played when we tested it. <laughs> Isn't that the way? There, there it goes. In my teenage years, I felt very much like my faith was transactional. I knew God loved me and cared for me. I just did not understand God's grace. I felt that it was do this for God in order to appease him. I was always very exhausted. I didn't know what could I do to make the world better. When I was trudging in the mud with him, it was so slow. It was very like, oh, I just want to get out of the mud. I want to be able to like run with him. And I feel like I can't because I'm so stuck in, in the mud of like serving and doing the right thing all the time. Like, why am I like trying to appease him? When I know deep down who he is, but why do I not know like in my heart like who he is truly? I heard about YWAM Orlando through another Christian nonprofit organization that I worked for. I remember as soon as I walked onto the campus, I thought this place feels safe. I learned that God is relational that he saw me as like a warrior, he saw me as a traveler, he saw me as someone that like wanted to share the gospel with people, and he saw me as good. Every single thing I've done with YWAM has helped me to be a better discipler. It was like the exhaustion went away. The last bit of the mud finally came off and I finally knew like who God was and who he created me to be. And the weight and the burden that I have to save everyone or I have to do these things was gone. This is in 2009. I got to go to Africa for the first time. These were a bunch of kids I worked with in an orphanage in Kenya. I get to ignite people with passion for the gospel. I'm able to help equip students and the next generation by taking short-term teams overseas and help them with learning how to share the gospel, help them with doing kids ministry, and help my students in learning how to fully live out like a life of obedience to Jesus while experiencing it in a different culture. 
this was my BTS, getting to help out at a Christmas parade. <laughs> this was a family in the Middle East that we met. They were refugees and we were able to have tea with them and talk to them about Jesus and all kinds of different things and we were able to really get to know them. So many people come into YWAM hurt and broken and they don't know who Jesus and who God is. That's my walk with God. Without YWAM Orlando, I would still have a very transactional relationship with God. Being able to see my students when they realize that God is not transactional, but that he is relational, it's the most joyous thing you could ever like imagine. And so when I see my students getting that revelation that I had to walk through myself, it's like, oh, it's like, that's the dream. Like right there is getting to see them experience what I got to experience as well. It gets me every single time. Obviously, Sarah came from a wonderful Christian family, a Christian home, and a, and a wonderful church, and God was at work in her life before she came. But you know how you know, our life and, and walking with the Lord is a lifetime journey, isn't it? And, and God takes people places. But one of the things we find is n many of our students don't come from the wonderful place that Sarah came from. Many of the students come from places like where I came from. And you know, we look back at, uh, before I say that, there's a need to, to see real deep discipleship happen in their lives. When you look back at that passage in Matthew 28, where Jesus says, go, uh, you know, uh, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I've commanded you. The idea, the word baptism is not a translated word. It's really a transliterated word. It's, you know, the, the Greek word is baptizo, and it, it means to immerse. And one of our leaders, uh, David Hamilton, was doing some research, and he discovered that word being used in a cookbook during the times of Jesus. He thought, a cookbook? Well, you know, we, we think about it as, you know, the baptismal and, you know, somebody, you know, and, and that's, that's a right use of that word. But in the cookbook, guess what it was used for? The pickling process. So imagine with me that this clicker is a cucumber, and if I dip it in a glass of salty water and pull it out, what do I have? I have a salty cucumber. But if I put it in the brine solution and seal it up for a long enough period of time, it gets transformed from a cucumber to a pickle, never to go back. <laughs> and what the Lord, I think, is commissioning us, part of what he's commissioning us to do is to pickle the, the, the youth that come to us, the people that come to us in the teachings of Jesus, which is the whole counsel of Scripture, the Bible, to the place where it becomes a part of who, the, the fabric of who somebody is. And it, it sees lives transformed. And that's what we're working with in our, with our, in our training schools. And, and no training program is perfect, but we're seeing lives be transformed by the, the, the truth of God's word. And then those transformed lives go out and carry the message of the gospel to the nations. You know, here in, in just this, um, let's see if I got control of this again. It's not letting me move it forward. Can you go to the next slide? There you go. Last year, we had teams administered to, to 32,479 people, and they saw 2,582 salvations and distributed 344 Bibles. I mean, you know, every one of those numbers is a person that prayed a prayer that didn't know Jesus to receive Jesus into their heart. Now, you can't look into somebody's heart. We look on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. But, but we had people make decisions for Christ. It was just amazing. Since we started, we've seen over 7,000 trained, and they've ministered to over 425,000 people. And yet, it was a real desperate need to increase our capacity. And so, because we're running out of space. Last winter, or last fall, we had our, our, our operational leaders were saying, we have to stop accepting students, we don't have room. 
So we, you know, we do, we're running up against this, this crisis where we're out of, out of space, and God's, God's working on this, this campus here. And you guys have really played a part, helping us turn these ruins of buildings into something that was significant. This depot particularly, I just wanted to pause and go thank you, because you guys helped, and people from this church helped to, to renovate this as a place of, of eating here. So we turned this into this depot, and the, uh, members of this church gave, and, and members of this church came down as a team and built that deck. Now that deck added places where people could eat, but more important than the food that they eat, there's one-on-one discipleship ministry that happens there. There's small group meetings happen there. It's more than about eating. It's about seeing lives transformed, and you played a part. And I just wanted to pause and say thank you very much for that. You know, and we're, we're working to expand it. We've added a screen room, 100 more uh, seats in there. So we're working to, to expand it. Why? Because God, I believe, is sending a generation of young people to become the greatest missions movement the world has ever seen. Now, they don't look like that when you encounter them in the world. <laughs> but but, but God, God is really on the move, and, I, and I'm, I'm really excited to see uh, what God is going to do at this time. And I believe it's Gen Z. God is sending us Gen Z to carry the gospel to the nations. You know, we're, we're seeing uh, just record numbers here. This is our chapel, and just, you know, passionate young people involved. Whoops, it jumped off. Passionate young people involved in, in worshiping the Lord with, with passion. It's just it's exciting to see... You know, people go to football games and do that kind of thing all the time. <laughs> uh, uh, so why, why not when, you, when you're celebrating who God is and, and his word, huh? So you know, we, I really believe that God is getting ready to send a wave of young people like we've never seen before. You know, they're, they're, and our mission is more urgent than ever before because we have not only billions that have never heard the gospel, but we have a generation that I think is ready to go if we'll embrace them, if, we'll, if we will give them an opportunity, if we will disciple them and, and prepare them. Andy Bird, one of our leaders in our mission, gave, spoke recently about four reasons why he believes that we're going to see the greatest youth movement, uh, coming youth movement we've ever seen. And as I was pondering these, I, I thought, I think, they're, I think he's right on here. Because you, you think one of the reasons is there's, there's, a, there's a globalization and digitization or urbanization of the world today. So there's this, this idea that we can go anywhere. I was just in Thailand. I flew back from Thailand, went to our staff, uh, led our st- staff retreat, and then came up here, all within a few weeks. It would have taken months, you know, at a century ago, you know, uh, a couple centuries ago, to go do that missions trip. But we can, go any, we can get anywhere on the planet very quickly. Some of us even own their own plane. They can just kind of go places, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we, you know, but we, we can go anywhere. And so the world's accessible to us. The, you know, digitization means we can communicate with people all over the world. You know, you get on, you, you text somebody or FaceTime them. You, you know, you, you, we take it for granted. But this, that's relatively new, and it gives us a chance to share the gospel. When we're distributing Bibles, we're giving little SD cards with the Bible on it, and people just put those into their phone. You go, well, what about those remote places? Well, they still, they all have uh, smartphones, and they, when they get into town, they download stuff, and then when they're out in the, in the mountains of Nepal, they, they look at the stuff they downloaded when they were in town. It's just, it, it's crazy. There are places where they've skipped the technology of regular phone lines and just jumped to cell phone towers, because it's just, there's no point in doing the old landline thing, you know? So, it's just, it, watch, and then urbanization, people are moving to cities. Now, those, those three things are great opportunities, but also create great challenges. You know, I mean, you have, you know, unfortunately, I don't have my cell phone on me now, but, you know, in my cell phone, I have multiple versions of the Bible. 
I have the Bible in my pocket. But you know what else you can access from that pocket? Pornography. All sorts of evil things. And so, you know, as we're discipling people and they've got those phones in their pocket, you know, there, there are things we need to talk about, you know, as we're, as we're discipling. So there's challenges, but there's great opportunity. Great opportunity. You know, you think back into the Roman times. Not, obviously, none of us were alive then. But due to the Roman Empire, the, the, uh, they, people could travel more freely. Globalization. They could communicate more because of the, the Roman roads and the security of the military. They could communicate more, more quickly with people than ever before. And people were moving to the cities. It was a similar kind of thing. And it had great challenges, and, and the Roman Empire was quite harsh, and there were a lot of problems. But you know what? The church grew 40% every 10 years under the Roman Empire. In 300 years, they went from an upper room of 120 people to 10% of the Roman population the roman nation in that time period we're facing a similar time right now where, where i believe that that god is trying to to use these these challenging times to actually see a youth movement not a youth movement unto itself but a youth youth jesus movement like we've never seen before then rising persecution you know, persecution can be minor. You know, it can be cultural. Like we have the whole politically correct society right now. It creates persecution. When you stand up for your faith, there's a, there can be a challenge. You know, where you're, you know we, we face those challenges. When people come, they often don't uh, believe the Bible's true. And we say, no, we, we here at YWAM Orlando and you at, <laughs> at Grace Community, we believe the Bible's true, cover to cover. It's all true. And, uh, and, and sometimes you get pushback and, and people get upset by it. And they say, I had somebody tell me once, if you're going to hold that strongly to the Bible being true, young people aren't going to come. Well, I found the opposite is true. Because just you don't have to be, we don't have to be jerks about it, but we need to take a stand on timeless truth. You know, it's, it's important. And, and what, the nice thing about persecution, though, as difficult as it is, is that it erases nominal Christianity. There are people when under persecution, even if it's minor, will walk away from their faith, which, you know, you're sad to see. But there are others who go all in for Jesus and their commitment to the Lord because they go, no, this, this solidified, this crisis solidified my faith and I'm just determined to follow Jesus by his grace, by his strength and power. Another one is the increase of, of the religion of secular humanism. Now, this movement is global. We're not just talking in the United States. So there are nations like uh, that, that have Hinduism as the predominant religion or Islam. And what's happening is because the youth are more connected globally and with the digitization, they're actually more connected to youth across the globe than they are to their own culture. And so they're throwing off some of those religions and they're embracing secular humanism. The problem with that is it creates a vacuum of purposelessness because when they're when they when they embrace this idea that it's all about me and how i feel and what i think and humanity there's there's no hope in that and so they they go why why am i alive what's my purpose and that vacuum creates an opportunity for the church to 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 see work with jesus to see a, a true jesus movement among the youth across the globe and then the last one I'll, uh, here is that Gen Z is predestined for entrepreneurship and activism. They were, uh, Gen, Gen Z, that's a generation that's coming, you know, it's, it's still in school, just coming out of school. It's the ones that are coming to our discipleship training school now. They're an interesting generation. They probably uh, cite themselves, uh, they have two times more people saying they're atheists than previous generations. They're probably the most unchurched uh, generation in recent history. 
uh, they're, they're, um, they're, they're definitely committed to activism. I mean, they, 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 they want to take on a cause, and they've taken on the, the cause of the world. They want to cancel everything and end everything and defund everything, and, uh, and they, they're passionate about what they believe. But it's interesting when you, when you discover, when you talk about Gen, Gen Z, that uh, 80% of Gen Z believers have shared their faith in the last year. Statistically, according to Gallup poll, only 30 to 40% of Christians will share their faith in their lifetime. Only 1 to 2% will actually lead somebody to Jesus in salvation in their lifetime. Now, many of those will do it multiple times, but, but among Gen Z, they, 80% shared their faith just in the last year. Uh, 53%, you know, when, asked, when Gallup poll did this study, they asked them, well, what's the Great Commission? They didn't know. You know, only 17% of the church really knows what the Great Commission is anymore. We just talked about the Great Commission. Mark 16, 15, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we're called to, to carry the gospel and disciple nations. And, but uh, most don't know what that is or where it's found in Scripture. And so they didn't know that. But when, when Gallup Poll came back with a follow-up question and said, would you be willing to consider committing your life and your life career to foreign missions? 53% said yes which is amazing. We're likely seeing the most evangelistic and missional-minded generation we've ever seen coming in. Now, the problem is when they show up, they often don't believe the Bible's true. They like the Jesus part of the Bible, but they're not real thrilled about some of the Old Testament. And Paul was, Paul was a little aggressive, you know. And so they kind of kind of throw off the ends of the Bible. I go, you can't do that. It's all true, cover to cover. It defines what's good and evil, right and wrong, and we, we, we are committed to bringing our lives into alignment. I think somebody's called it the plumb line. It's the plumb line of, of, of how we're to live our life, you know. And so that's a part of our discipleship journey in that process. And, and it's just, but it's very exciting to watch what God is doing w- with Gen Z at this time. And I believe we, we have an opportunity, we're a perfect environment to be able to see them, them come and to be trained and then sent. Because when they go on outreach, they, have, they go with a staff member like a Sarah, and we'll, we'll go on outreach with them and help continue the discipleship journey as they're sharing their faith, as they're ministering to people. You know, and so we're, we're asking questions like, are you sharing the gospel? Okay? And they're doing role play in, 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 uh, in our class where they share the gospel with one another, and then they go out in the streets and do it there in Orlando. And then they go overseas. And, and, and so they, have, they develop a kind of a pattern of not only can I share the gospel, but I'm actually becoming proficient and being able to do that. And as a result, you're seeing more and more people come to, to Christ. It's just it's a very exciting opportunity to, to see what God is doing right now. God's on the move. So what do we do? It's, he's not just on the move at YWAM Orlando. I'm not trying to apply that. God is on the move with his body, the church, you, us, and the rest of the body of Christ, people who are true believers of Jesus and are committed to his, 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 the Scripture, the Bible, and so how do we, how do we move? Well, oh, I forgot to mention, these, these are some good ones. 89% of Christian youth in Nigeria believe it's their responsibility to share the gospel. As I said, this is a global phenomenon. In India, 92% of Christian youth in India believe it's their responsibility to share the gospel. That's pretty, that's pretty astounding when you think about it. It's very astounding. I believe Gen Z is a generation prepared to be the greatest missions movement the world has ever seen. But they, but they need us. How can we facilitate this youth missions movement? Well, one is we need to pray and obey. We need to make sure we're, com- we're committed to prayer and then we obey the, the, what we're sensing God is asking us to do. The Bible says the, the, the harvest is what? Ripe. 
but the laborers are few. And we're saying, you know, so you've got, the, you know, where, where do we get our laborers from? You think about mission, where do our, our workers come from, typically? Don't they come from local churches? And they, they typically come from, but now we've got Gen Z, this most unchurched generation we've had. So how do, how do we access them? I believe God's giving us strategies to connect to this generation, to call them into a mission that's worth living and dying for. This, because of their activism, because of their, commit, their entrepreneurialism, they, they actually have the capacity to take on some of the biggest challenges facing us. One of those is getting a Bible in the hand of every person. You know, we're committed to making sure everyone's heard the gospel, everyone has an opportunity, uh, everybody has a Bible in their heart language, their mother tongue, and everybody has an opportunity to be discipled. You know, we're, we're, as we look at mother tongue, the, you know, the mother tongue speakers, there's probably at least 8,000 languages that don't have the Bible in their mother tongue. And so we're actually embracing a, an opportunity to, uh, to be involved in creating oral Bibles in, in mother tongues, in, in, in these, these language groupings. This generation, I think, has a capacity to go for it. It's, it's just amazing to me to see. We need to study this generation. If you were going to join me and we were going to go to Tajikistan as missionaries, what would we do in preparation? Wouldn't we study the culture? Wouldn't we try to figure out, you know, how do I, how, not only how do I enter the, the, the country, but, but what are the people like? How do I communicate with them? What's their cultural? You know, when I'm in Thailand, I, had to, I couldn't sit like you're sitting there, sir, with your leg crossed because your foot's pointed at that gentleman over there and that'd be offensive in Thailand. It, it, and, and, and you wouldn't know that unless, some, unless you did some cultural studies. There's just so many simple things that we do that, that we mean nothing by it, but in that culture it becomes offensive, and then they're, they're not interested in hearing the gospel from you because you were just offensive. No, that's not what you meant to be. You know, just, you know, just relax. It's comfortable to sit that way. There's nothing, you know, nothing wrong with that, and it's no, no offense here. What about Gen Z? Gen Z is a different culture. And we need to, to figure out ways to, you know, we used to be able to just refer to Bible stories. We used to be able to say, you know, just make a comment about, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they just had such a faith and they were in the fiery furnace. And they go, what's a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? What is that? You know, you can't just refer to story. We used to be able to tell people what was in the Bible when they came and teach them content to make application. Now we have to start with, the Bible's true and trustworthy. It's the inspired and errant word of God. It's true. And we have to start with convincing them there. And then we, we can't just reference Bible stories by their title, Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We can't just say that. We have to tell the story because they don't know. They're not, they're not dumb. They're actually quite brilliant. And they don't know that they need you because why, why do I have to listen to you? I can just go to Google and get everything I need. And so, but they, they do need you, and they do need me. They need that relational connect with somebody who's actually walked with the Lord, knows his nature, character, and ways, and can be a guide in the process. But we also need them to help us understand their culture and how to relate. And we're seeing if we study this generation, then we can actually begin to be people who minister to them in a powerful way. We need to create an environment that welcomes Gen Z. How many of you have seen the Jesus Revolution movie? Anybody seen that movie? Uh, it was interesting that was before, a little bit before my time. But the, um, Chuck Smith was willing to, to do, uh, do some uncomfortable things to, to create opportunity for the hippies to come to Jesus. And I think we're in that place again. 
where God is calling us to be willing to do some uncomfortable things. We have, we have culture that we, you know, we have in our, in our YWAM base, in our local church, whatever, and, um, and those aren't bad. They're great. There, there were reasons those were developed, but they're not necessarily tied to uh, the biblical absolutes. They're more of our method of how we gather. And, um, and, and I don't have any particular one in mind, but just we're, we're taking a look at it. Here this summer, I had our, our annual prayer planning retreat with our elders, and I brought in a whole bunch of Gen Z guys and said, okay, how, how is YWAM Orlando and how we gather our worship times? Our, you know, the, just get, I asked them a bunch of questions on every aspect of how we function and let them just give critique. But it doesn't mean you have to do it all, because some of their ideas weren't, you know, would violate you know, Scripture, and we're not going to violate Scripture. But it was actually very insightful. Things that I didn't know were an issue for them, you realize, oh, there's some issues there. So we've made some radical adjustments in our scheduling, not, not in terms of the timeless truth, that stands firm, but in terms of how we function. And it just, it, we're working to create an environment. When they show up, they go, okay, I can encounter the Lord here, and I feel welcome here. It's more about feeling welcome. Hospitality is that way, isn't it? You know, somebody comes to your home, you, you know, make sure they have a nice drink, give them a place to sit, and you're preparing things, and you've just been hospitable, and you, you know, I love being with the Nichols, I just feel at home there, it's just, it's wonderful. That's hospitality. That's all it is. It's studying the generation and figuring out how can we be hospitable to invite them in without compromising truth so that we might win them and disciple them to become that, that wave of missionaries to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. And then we need to pickle them in the teachings of Jesus. <laughs> but we, we, we've got to earn a right. We've got to earn a right relationally before we have the permission to, to, to actually teach. And, and we need to be, while we're teaching, we also need to be learners, you know, from, from them as well. So it's just, you know, often when, when I get a chance to teach in our schools, which I do, uh, and I get introduced in what my role is, and, I, and I'll, I'll quickly say, well, yes, I, I am the leader here, but first and foremost, I'm a brother with you, and we are all together on a journey toward being more like Jesus, <laughs> to, to know his nature, character, and ways better than ever before. And so I try to take, kind of take off the, the hat of leadership, not, not in an official way, but in a sense of, you know, we're, we're together in this journey to make Jesus known all across the planet. And that's, that's an important part of us as, uh, as we, we connect with them and then we have opportunity to teach and disciple. And it's really quite a journey. But the whole teaching process is different. I won't go into that. But just, there's the challenge. Ask the Lord, how can we create an environment that's more inviting to Gen Z and the follow-up generation, alpha generation? Because that's our future as we look at discipling nations. It's raising up a generation to be passionately on fire for Jesus committed to his, the Bible, his word, cover to cover, willing to live it out in a radical way, standing firm against the persecution, but sharing the gospel boldly until all have heard. Amen? So I believe God is getting ready to send uh, us uh, the greatest wave of missions. We, and we, you and I, we have a calling to harness the, the, the passion and dedication of this generation to see them equipped to become this wave, this mission movement wave. I believe it's part of uh, what, what God is up to. We, we live in dangerous times. Our only hope is God. Our only hope is God and his word. <laughs> and, uh, and, but I believe we can trust him. I believe there is hope in him. I believe that he can bring forth revival and reformation and we can see this world change. I don't know about you, but I listen to the news. I listen to some of the uh, the politically correct stuff, and it just grieves my heart. 
And I, I watch kids coming to us, and I hear stories. Uh, as, as we're ministering to them, we hear the stories, and you just think, oh, how broken, how broken are we? If we don't win, if we don't win Gen Z, you know what would be tragic? They'll, become, they'll be known as the most confused, sexually broken generation that we've ever had. But if we win Gen Z and disciple, and they'll become the greatest missions movement the world has ever seen. We have an extraordinary opportunity in front of us right now, an extraordinary opportunity. And we get to, I'm always amazed and humbled that God would allow me to participate with him in what he's doing. How about you? (laughs) And he's calling all of us to participate with him as he's bringing to pass this great missions movement and bringing about his dream. In Revelation 5, 9, I believe we get a picture of the dream of God, (laughs) the heart of the Father. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open it, uh, open its seals, for you are slain, talking about the Lord. And by your blood, you ransom people for God. I'm going to say these last words for me, the underlined ones. From every tribe and language and people and nation. We're not done until everyone is heard. We're not done until everybody, every, there's, there are people from every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation before the throne of God. And there are, as I started out, there are billions that have never heard. Let's invite Gen Z to join us, to, sh- to share the love of Jesus with the whole world until everyone has heard the gospel, everyone has a Bible in their heart language, and everyone has an opportunity to be discipled. Let's, let's, like Paul, press on until we see that dream of God become a reality on planet Earth. Probably every generation has thought, we're the generation that could see the Great Commission fulfilled. But as I look at this generation, I think this, this is really possible. Where, you know, we think, I talk with, the, we're, we're working with the CEOs of Wycliffe and Crew and others, and, and they're talking about, you know, the, the last language is being translated by uh, 2033. And so we're, 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 we're coming to some, some seasons in our lives where, where we're seeing God bring a lot of things together in convergence. We have an opportunity. But then our, our question to you and me is, God, what are you, what's my part? What are you calling me to do? to enlist this generation and disciple this generation to carry the gospel until all have heard. Amen? Well, Lord, we thank you so much for your, your faithfulness. We thank you that you are a God who, who takes broken people, imperfect people, and you allow us to work with you, to walk with you as you reach a generation. And we just count it a privilege. We just give you our yes. We don't even know what, in detail what you're asking of us, but we know you are trustworthy. We can trust you from all, to be people who are totally yielded to you, being people that can pray the, pray the song we sang earlier, Disrupt Us, Lord. We're willing to let you do that because we know you are good and we can trust you. Thank you for your leadership and your guidance. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you, Michael. Um, I think from his talk, I have four sermons uh, that I can now preach, and I appreciate that, Michael. I was thinking as he was talking that, um, you know, it only takes one, right? One person. So you think about the one person that was willing to confront Michael with the gospel, and then how many lives have been changed as a result of that. And obviously... His wife is a part of that. As God led, we'd love to hear that story sometime. How God led you to Darla. Thank you, Lord. How God led you to Darla. 
But I think about, okay, so God then put Sarah, right, there at YWAM, and how many different individual people has the Lord used, right, through Sarah, has the Lord um, captured just through her commitment to ministry. And then it got me to thinking about, well, Lord, I remember when I was young about different men in my life that were willing to invest. The one that shared Christ with me, I'd already heard the gospel several times, but Phil Newsom stopped me and shared the gospel. And I got saved, right? And then moving forward, how the Lord used other men, Jim Pence and other ones, Every one of us who have Christ have a story of one person. So you think about how the Lord said to his disciples, right? The 11 in the upper room after Jesus was gone. And how God would use them and then how God would take one man on the road to Damascus. Right? Going to get more names to to do away with these people that we refer to as the way. I'm going to get rid of all those guys. And how God transformed his life and used him. Do you know what I'm fearful of in the church today? That the church is stuck in neutral. It really concerns me. Because it sounds like to me that these guys, this generation, they're not comfortable with neutral. And so we need to be vivacious in our approach to them with the gospel and as Michael reiterated over and over from cover to cover this is true and the one thing they need to know is that Christ died for them right and that he wants them to know him so appreciate your challenge Michael and uh, like I said I have three or four sermons now I'm just I'm ready to go so I don't know who brought the fish and loaves but let's just stay here and take your Bibles and open too right that'd be all right with you guys right all right well why don't we stand and let's close in a word of prayer Lord, my prayer is that you would make us passionate about you. And if that happens, then I think everything else will take care of itself. So help us to be passionate about you. Even today, remind us of the detailed blessings of our own salvation. Help us not to walk around aimlessly but help us to be in pursuit of people that we might share the great news of the gospel with. May we pray for this generation and the generations to come as you continue to move. And your word tells us that you're building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we have those promises. I pray we'd be a part of the movement and not stand on the sideline and watch it go by. And so we just commit the rest of the day to you and uh, help us, Lord, as we pursue you to be passionate about the things that you are passionate about. For your glory and all this we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Don't forget to sign up, fellowships, Coke float, root beer float. All right? We'll get another mayonnaise for next week. It won't be Hellman's. <laughs>